Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talked about the NFL, including another addition to our list of things football players shouldn't do, some college basketball, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments. Mike's, or uh, your weekly turtle tab comes first, then Mike's stupid rules, and write that down predictions here on episode 126. In lieu of a fun fact to start off this episode, I'm going to hit you with three fun facts in the in a, in a quiz format of the good, the bad, and the ugly NFL playoff edition, where I'm going to give you three fun facts, three, three quiz questions that will uh, turn out to be fun facts, uh, one of them being a good good stat, one of them being a bad stat, and one what I determine to be an ugly stat. Uh, you'll, see, you'll see as this goes along. So the first question is, who in the NFL has the longest active playoff appearance like most consecutive seasons in the playoffs? Currently active. So through this past playoff season. Player. Playoff. Player team. The team. So who has the longest active oh, playoff? Team, fans? not player? Yeah, correct. It's a lot easier. Yes. Or is it? Pittsburgh. Mike says Pittsburgh. Seattle. Seattle. Incorrect. It's the Chiefs from uh, 2015 to 2020. They had the longest active playoff appearance in the playoffs. Oh. You look dumbfounded, but it's true. True fact. That was, that was one of my, probably one of my worst guesses. <laughs> I was in the like, conference at least. Yeah, you were. That's correct. So that's what I determined to be something good. So let's look at a bad stat here. So who in total has the most playoff losses? What, which team has the most playoff losses? And for brownie points, give me uh, the number of losses as well. Now, I'm not going to come close on that. Uh, there we go. Buffalo Bills at eight. Most total playoff. <laughs> no, that's not a lot. That's In the lot. history of the Buffalo Bills, they've lost eight playoff games, Kyle. Really? I don't know. Have they? All right, Kyle says Bills eight. What do you think, Mike? The Bills have lost at least four Super Bowls, so there's at least four. Plus, they've lost in the playoffs the last two years. So I just named six off the top of my head. Um, Buffalo Bills at 12. <laughs> we'll change the number. Okay. That's, that's more realistic. Um, the Chargers? The Chargers. No, it's got to be somebody older than the Chargers. It's got to be. No, we're going to go with the Chargers at 14. The Chargers at 14. So I'm going to tell you what the losses for both of those teams were. So the Buffalo Bills have lost a total of 17 playoff games. Uh, the Chargers, let's look for the Chargers here. The Chargers have lost 18, right? The team that has the most playoff losses is the Vikings at 30 total playoff losses. Yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah, <laughs> number two is the Cowboys at 28 and the Rams at 26. So that, that's a lot of losses. You had, to pick, you had to pick a team that's always good. Right? right, the teams with the most playoff losses are the teams that are always in the playoffs, not the teams I, that are bad. I just, I just picked a team that I know is historically uh, loses, or I, at least I knew they lost often in the playoffs. This is also a way out of their stat. This is the ugly stat here. Uh, this is going to be kind of the contrapositive of the bad stat. Which team has the fewest playoff wins in the Super Bowl era, so post-1970? And can you name the number of wins? It is more than zero. Fewest Super Bowl wins, so it's got to be one. Fewest, fewest playoff wins. Sorry, fewest oh, playoff My bad. I, I was going to say, if it's more than zero, it's got to be one because there's teams with 
but there's a lot of teams with only one Super Bowl. Fewest playoff wins in the Super Bowl era. Detroit, one. Uh, Jacksonville, four. Mike, you're correct. It was Detroit with one, one playoff win in 1991 against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they've had a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven playoff wins if you go uh, pre-Super Bowl era. But post-Super Bowl era, only one win in 1990. I wanted to guess the Lions, but I didn't want to. So. That's fair. That's an ugly stat. It makes me kind of sad on the end eye. But it is what it is. There's your good, bad, and the ugly in quiz format for the NFL. That was very interesting. Um, while we're talking about the NFL here, since we're already there, um, there wasn't much um, NFL news, but we do have another um, edition of our favorite segment, Things Football Players Shouldn't Do. Kyle, can you inform us on this week's thing that football players shouldn't do? Just kidding. Looks like I got it. Um, so this one comes courtesy of Vikings cornerback Jeff Gladney. He turned himself into Dallas County, uh, Dallas County police um, after a warrant was issued for his arrest for fel- felony family violence assault. Um, basically, he got in a verbal altercation that escalated to a point in which he ins- assaulted the victim, according to the police report. And then he left. Um, the Vikings haven't done anything about it. He's out on bond. But basically, don't get in a fight with your family member and then assault them. That, that we're putting on the list, don't get in a fight with your family member and then assault them. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think if we have something similar to that on the list already. Do we need to be more specific? And I don't, I don't think that we do. Uh, for those that are unaware, we keep a full list of things that football players shouldn't do on 8311Cast. And this will be the 35th entry on that list. We're not going to go through all of them today. But if you want to see a couple highlights, uh, we'll go through that after we list. And I don't really see anything that would um, – the only thing that might come close is punching your pregnant girlfriend, which you obviously should not do. Um, if you want to say it's not a family member, I'd be okay with putting this on there as don't get into a fight with your family member and assault them. I think that's okay. Okay, let's do it. Don't get into a fight with your family member and assault them. Let's look at a couple random five off of our current list now, including or not including the latest one we just put on there. Don't get into a fight with your family member and assault them. We also have don't drive over 100 miles per hour in your car. Don't not listen to our list of things football players shouldn't do, obviously. Don't decide not to pay your cab fare. Don't punch the cop who tells you to pay your cab fare. And of course, don't drive on a suspended license. Those seem pretty tame. But those are things that football players should not. There you go. That is our entire list of things. For, well, not our entire, but just the highlights. We, will, we keep building on that list as football players keep doing things they shouldn't. Stick to football. Play football. Don't do things you shouldn't do. You'll, you'll be better off. Trust me. Um, speaking of better off, um, you could say that the Cyclones are better off. The Cyclone basketball team is better off this week than they were last week. I think they probably are. Kyle, do you want to fill us in on everything that happened this last week for the Cyclone men's basketball team? Yeah, there was there was a lot that happened this past week, and Saturday was actually a pretty significant day this past Saturday for the team. Uh, and we'll get into that here shortly. But this past Friday, uh, Jalen Coleman-Lance, who transferred into Iowa State last season to play for Steve Prohm, uh, 
he originally started his career at Illinois, then to DePaul, then to Iowa State. He has announced his transfer from the team. Uh, he will play his seventh season of basketball somewhere else. Uh, it is undetermined where he will end up. Uh, so Saturday, as I mentioned before, big day for the team. Uh, prior to this date, uh, the team had five open scholarships for the upcoming season, and they ended up filling three of them uh, for sure. One of them was already list or already in the books as a possible uh, commitment, but he has reaffirmed his commitment to Iowa State, and that is Tyrese Hunter, the four-star, according to 24-7 Sports, the four-star recruit out of Wisconsin. Uh, the point guard, he just recently won a state title with his high school basketball team, and he is sticking with the team. He said that in the three weeks since TJ has become head coach at Iowa State, he has made his, uh, he has been actively pursuing uh, Hunter, uh, trying to form that relationship with them, facilitated with some of the staff that uh, TJ kept from the Prome staff as well. So, Hunter is staying with the team, and that is an absolutely massive, massive get for this program as he is an absolute playmaker uh, for this team. He should pair very, very well with the athletic bigs uh, in um, George Condit as well as Xavier Foster. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Xavier Foster progresses this offseason as he continues his rehabilitation, but this team has, they at least have their playmaker for next season, depending on how good uh, Hunter is in one season, if he decides to pursue an NBA career or not, but they have their point guard. Uh, for some backcourt depth, TJ also brought back Caleb Grill. You might remember the name. Yes, he did play one season at Iowa State two years ago uh, in his freshman campaign under Steve Prum before he transferred to UNLV, who uh, he was recruited by TJ there. So he played with TJ for one season at UNLV and he has decided to come back to Iowa State for another season. Uh, it just adds a lot of backcourt depth here for this team. I don't see Caleb Grill as a starter on this team right now. Uh, I think Hunter as well as Jaden Walker will be some or will be the at least the starting backcourt for this uh i'm not sure with if caleb girl will get starting experience or not it just a depth chart with pledges trey jackson um and a couple other they also picked up a commitment from gabe kalsher right kalsher 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 that's it he is hails from the great state of minnesota where he did play three seasons uh, I'm going to toss this one over to Mike because Mike, I mean, Minnesota is your second favorite team. So you should know some about this kid. Yes. This, this Iowa state transfer news is my moment to shine. This transfer news was made for me. Also, I'm not going to necessarily say that Minnesota is my second favorite team. The jury's still out whether Minnesota or Iowa state is my favorite basketball. I'm just saying. Just, 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 just put that out there. I'm not going to make a commitment one way or the other. Wyatt, are we allowed to fire uh, the podcast hosts based on their allegiance to teams here? That would be a fireable offense, but I don't think we can take action as Mike is one of the role presenters of 8311 Cast. I'm just saying. 
If if Minnesota played Iowa State in basketball, I don't know who I'd root for. I don't know. That'd be really, really hard. I wouldn't want to wear that. some shade of red to the game. I would. I would wear a shade of red. That's true. That is true. But no, Gabe Kausher did transfer um, from Minnesota to Iowa State. Um, he is a big um, three-point shooter as well as perimeter defender. His freshman year, he was one of the best three-point shooters in the nation. Um, he hasn't shot well these last two seasons. He's been like an average three-point shooter. But when you're calling card is shooting, th- got to do it better than average. Um, he's still a productive player. He averaged 10 points per game for Minnesota. He's a three-year starter. Um, he was regarded as one of the best perimeter defenders in the Big Ten. Um, so Iowa State is definitely getting um, some defensive upgrades there in Gabe Kalsher. The other thing to keep an eye on is that he did break his non-shooting hand late in this last um, season. He should be fully recovered, so he should be able to practice with the team um, whenever practices are happening. Um, but we'll have to see if there's any holdover from that injury. But since to his non-shooting hand, um, I think he'll probably be fine. But I think it's a good get. Um, let's hope they can fi- get him to find a shooting stroke again because he shot, I think, over 40% from three as a freshman. So if he can find that shooting stroke back, he pretty much won the Gophers, their NCAA tournament game against Louisville back in, that would have been the 2018 tournament, I think. So, yeah, if he can shoot well, he can win your ball game. So Gabe Kalsher, keep an eye on him shooting and playing defense for the Cyclones. Yeah, so some of the big key, the big key takeaways that I have from this past Saturday is TJ is looking at th- is looking for three and D improvements in both categories there in three point shooting and willingness to defend. Uh, so it, obviously it's it's been a stat in the past couple of seasons that the team that Iowa State has shot or has been seventh or finished seventh or worse in the conference from three at, as far as three point percentage uh, the past two two out of the three pat previous seasons, the lone season with them finishing higher than that, they finished in third place. That was uh, Tyrese Halliburton's first season uh, with the Cyclones when they were much better from three point uh, range, mostly due to Tyrese Halliburton's contribution with that team. Uh, They have also been absolutely atrocious on defense the past four seasons, according to Ken Palm's adjusted defensive uh, efficiency rankings in 20 in 2021 they were ranked 135th overall 2020 147th 2019 was their best year when they finished 47th in 2018 they finished at 143rd uh, so that is something that TJ is pro- he's probably seen those stats and he wants to improve that for this team as well uh, we saw that with the recruitment of the previous two bigs, the transfer from Washington State and Denver as willing defenders or rebounders for this team, I should say. Uh, and now they're, he's looking for willing defenders. As Mike talked about with Gabe, he's uh, absolutely instrumental in on the defensive end of the court for the Golden Gophers. Caleb Grill uh, is a willing defender. He was at UNLV. Uh, at UNLV in his time there one season he did average a little over a steal and a half per game uh, and a little over well 
he wasn't super great at blocking the basketball, but that's no surprise because he's super short. But he did drastically improve his three-point percentage in his time at UNLV as well. So he it's it's apparent what uh, TJ is w- wanting to do. And also he's clamping down on the Midwest. Three of the recent transfers that they got are from or two of them hail from the state of Minnesota. And then one of their commitments, their high school commitment, Tyrese Hunter is from Wisconsin. And then Caleb Grill is from Kansas. So he is recruiting very hard in the Midwest as he will continue to do uh, with these two remaining scholarships that there is to fill. One name that has been floated around is a transfer from KU uh, that is looking to take his talents elsewhere. there have been some rumors within some of the Cyclone sports writers that he is a potential target for TJ as he is a willing defender. Also, a three-point shooting uh, was something that he was instrumental in coming out of high school. So I would assume that these two remaining scholarships will likely get filled within the next two weeks as TJ has been hot on the trail in the past couple of days. Uh, And my guess is both of them will end up coming from the transfer portal. There is not much else. Uh, from the high school ranks that seems to be stirring as of late. So look for those to be some transfer players, maybe some more upperclassmen to give this team a little bit more experience next season. Uh, Obviously, this team will not have two wins next season. I will put my money on that. Uh, I'll leave that up to you how much money I'm putting on it. It would be $5 probably because I don't want to lose it, lose a bunch. But this team will not have two wins all all of next season. They will have more than that, and they should one have win? one of two of one win. No, they'll have more than two. <laughs> uh, and but they will they should have at least more than zero wins in conference play next season. Uh, it has helped that some there will be some turnover in other uh, schools within the conference as well. Texas Tech, Texas, as well as Oklahoma are going to have some turnover, which should. Uh, be in play in favor for the Cyclones. Will this team be a tournament team, a tournament lock? Who knows? Could they be a fringe bubble team? Possibly with the depth of this league uh, and the available or the opportunity for some wins against some teams that are looking to rebuild potential. So it should be a much more exciting uh, season in Hilton Coliseum. I feel like with this past Saturday, Hilton got some of its magic back. So Cyclone fans get ready to see this beloved team back on the court, back in action, and maybe playing some better defense. Yep, that'll be good. That'll be good to see um, playing some better defense. Um, And yes, they will win more than two games. Just by the fact that they're going to play more non-conference games this year, they're going to get to play more bad teams this year than they play this next year than they played last year. So yes, they will win more than two games. We will never see them win this few games ever again. The Cyclones will never win this few games ever again. Write that down. The Cyclones will never win that few games ever again. So you can give me a single for that in the write that down prediction segment, and it can actually never come off the board because in theory, I can never be right. I can only be wrong. So It's like Bill Self's new contract. At the end of every year, it just adds another year to the end of his contract. So we can never board and see one of the best things about baseball is that in theory it could never end because they just keep adding another inning on top of another inning on top of another inning 
But as we're learning here in these first two weeks of the season, this new extra inning rule in Major League Baseball is stupid. And yes, I'm probably biased because the Twins have lost three extra inning games while only giving up three singles total in those three games, uh, in extra innings in those games for clarity. But it, the rule is stupid. It's artificially limiting games. It's putting pitchers in situations they were not prepared for. It's I've ranted about this a bunch, but that's been my biggest takeaway in the first um, two weeks of this baseball season is that this extra inning rule is just just dumb. I, like, so I, I do have a suggestion, one that you're not going to like. Uh, maybe the Twins should explore the option of not using Alex Colomay in the ninth inning or later in any baseball game in the future. I mean, you could think about that, yes. But that is, he hasn't, pitched in any I guess he did pitch he did blow the lead in the first extra inning anyway that's beside the point that the extra inning rule is not the good the good rule yes Alex Colomay has struggled and yes Taylor Rogers should probably take over the closer dude but he took the loss in the extra inning game despite pitching two innings and only giving up one one bunt single no walks no hit batters one bunt single and he takes the loss because magic put a runner put a runner on second base like, if I'm a pitcher, I hate that rule. I just got a loss because magic, a magic runner ended up on second base. It's insane. So I uh, listened to a podcast that featured Trevor May uh, again recently, and he, this was brought up to him. Uh, and they were asking him, what are his thoughts on this putting a runner on second base rule? And he said, when do you ever gift a runner two bases? Like, think of a scenario where you gift a runner two bases. It doesn't happen often. He was like, a pitcher can uh, gift a runner two bases by uh, issuing a walk and then throw and having a pass ball or a wild pitch. That's how you could gift a runner two bases. But he said, how many scenarios, like, out of, out of 100 different times that a pitcher takes over in a game with nobody on, how many times does that actually happen at the end of a game? Not often because pitchers are in the back end of a bullpen. They are meant to come in to close games out. You do have situational relievers that are meant to come in in messy situations. Like you'll bring a reliever in with the bases loaded uh, and they're more prone to get out of those situations, but they're likely not your closer or not the guy that you're using in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th inning, however long it's going to last. Although it's not going to last as long anymore because you're trying to end game super early because of this runner on second base. It's not something that's natural in the game. It's basically just saying, all right, lead off double every single time that you get into an extra inning game. And the odds of that happening are even really low. So it's, it's unnatural. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to flow well. And heck you can put, if you play your cards right in the previous inning, you can put your fastest guy on second base because it's the person who made the last out, put him on second base, and you could end up stealing third, and then all you are is a bunt single or a sack fly away from winning a ball game. It's it's not natural. I I'm not I'm not as heated about it as Mike might be because the Royals haven't actually lost a game this way yet. Matter of fact, they actually benefited from this in the game that was played on Sunday, April 11th, but it's, it is very unnatural. And I am 
all for MLB getting rid of this rule. I think it is detrimental. Yeah, it'll be talked about in the next collective bargaining. A lot of things in baseball, in big and small ways, are going to change in this next collective bargaining. Like, like these labor negotiations next year are going to be insane. And yeah, anyway, so keep an eye on that. But for now, just enjoy the season. Yes, there are some weird rules, but it's still baseball. It's still awesome. Still enjoy the season. And still, it's too early to overreact. That's all I have to say. What? What? So the Phillies aren't going to win the World Series, Mike, since they're leading their division? You should not even, let's be honest, you probably shouldn't even look at the standings at this point. Like, they don't matter. Like, we played like, what, 10 games for most teams, if that. Like, any team can have a, like, the Dodgers probably went three and seven and one point last year that's probably a bad example because it was only 60 games but anyway right teams that win the world series go three and seven in a 10 game stretch sometimes just because that three and seven stretch happens to be first doesn't necessarily mean anything let's just let's just relax a little bit we can talk about we can talk about the standings on memorial day okay but mike the the white Sox are in fourth place in the al central what's does that mean they're going to be terrible this year? We can talk about the standings on Memorial Day. That's don't, for like six weeks. Don't freak out, people. Also, don't don't take into account like incredible starts. Yes, there are weird things that will happen, like your main Mercedes starting eight for eight in the season. There will be uh, tra- actually uh, a fun um, thing that happened on Sunday was Trey Mancini did hit his first home run uh, since beating cancer. So big shout out to him coming back to the big leagues, beating cancer and hitting a home run for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, But there is not a lot that you can take from these first weeks. Um, It is, it was funny to watch a video of uh, Joe Madden for the uh, Los Angeles angels. So baseball in Florida right now for or the or Toronto Blue Jays are playing in Florida at their spring training site because no one can travel to Canada right now as a baseball team. Uh, and so there is no hallway from the dugout to the clubhouse. You have to actually walk on the field. So Joe Madden milked his ejection all the way out the field uh, when he <laughs> got ejected from a game with the Toronto Blue Jays this past week. Also, that stadium is super close to a a school, and Mike Trout hit it with a home run. So weird things that you'll never see in a typical baseball season, and you're seeing them as the Toronto Blue Jays are playing at a spring training site to open the year. Yeah, there are a lot of weird things in the baseball season, but it happens. COVID has made you do weird things. I'm just happy to have baseball. And do you know what else I'm happy about? The start that Will and Zastadio has had this year. In our weekly turtle tab this week, we'll follow baseball savior Will and Zastadio, La Tortuga, um, in his last week. He appeared in three games in this last week. Um, he went one for four in those three games with an RBI. Um, he's currently hitting 462 on the season, which last time I checked is pretty good. Um, so... He had another good week, 462. Again, don't overreact. He's not going to hit 450 this year. It's not going to happen. But still, be happy that he is uh, 
that he's still playing at this point and he's still playing well. If he keeps hitting well, he'll stay on this roster. So, Dylan's off the DL. You're telling me he's not going to have one of the best batting averages in Major League history? No, he is not. What? Who does have the best batting average in Major League history? With obviously with a minimum amount of plate appearances, because you can't take into account someone who. I would guess Ty Cobb. Correct. It is Ty Cobb with a point three six. That's career. That's career batting average. Did you want individual season? I wanted, yeah, just an individual season, not career. That's fantastic for a career. I believe it's probably still also Ty Cobb. He hit 400 one. Just, just goes to show how hard it is to. Uh, Ty Cobb is number three, I believe, with a point four two zero. Oh. Depends how far back you want to go. Oh, well, okay. If you want to go back into the 1800s, yeah, then no. somebody hit. No. At least 1900s are recent. My, my stats here are uh, post-1900. Okay, so yes, post-1900, he is third. So in the modern era, he's got the third. Rogers Hornsby's got the highest batting average in the modern era for in a single season with 425. He did that in 1924. Like, no one has hit over 400 since 1924. So I guess, yeah, so it's not going to happen. I guess, no, Ted Williams did it in 1941. Never mind. Either way, it's just not going to happen. 1941. It's been that long since somebody hit 400. It's just not going to happen. So it's just not. So, no, he won't hit 450 this season. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. What else I guarantee is that we talk about rules every week. That is a rule. So we had a situation that came up in the ninth inning or in late in the game between the Mets and Marlins. It was it was the ninth inning because it yeah. turned into Yeah. Um, this was on, um, Thursday. So basically what happened, bases loaded one out bottom of the ninth. Um, um, Michael Conforto is batting is the count is one and two. And there's a pitch, um, that ends up hitting his elbow, which under normal circumstances would what him first base, everybody else advances, run scores game over. And that's what the umpire called. Now, there's a lot of controversy that it was incorrect call because um, some say he leaned into the pitch. Um, so I just wanted to clarify what the rule is on that, and I'll let you all make your judgments. But I want to clarify the rule. So the rule we're looking at in the MLB rule book here is um, rule 5.05B2. So that states that the batter becomes a runner and is entitled to first base without liability to be put out when he is touched by a pitched ball, which he, which he is not attempting to hit unless A, the ball is in the strike zone when it touches the batter, or B, the batter makes no attempt to avoid being touched by the ball. If the ball is in the strike zone when it touches the batter, it shall be called a strike, whether or not the batter tries to avoid the ball. If the ball is outside the strike zone when it touches the batter, it shall be called a ball if he makes no attempt to avoid being touched. So that's the ruling. So if the pitch is a strike and it hits him, it doesn't matter whether he was trying to get out of the way or not. It's a strike. If the pitch would have been a ball, if he's not trying to get out of the way, 
um, the pitch can be ruled a ball. Now, there's no nothing in the rule saying you can't into a pitch directly, but it is implied because you have to attempt to get out of the way. Now, you can make an argument that in your attempt to get out of the way, you accidentally ended up in it. There's a little bit of gray area there. For me, when I watched that play, I thought that pitch was actually a strike when I watched that play, in which case it doesn't matter whether he was trying to get out of the way or not, according to that rule. So if it, the pitch was going to be a strike and it hits him, it's a strike, um, regardless of what his intent was. Um, so I'll let you all go watch the play and make your own judgment on it. But that is the rule um, that you should consult when you're making a judgment. I won't make judgment, but there you go. Now you can make an informed judgment. And that's all we ask here on the AD. We can disagree about a play, but understand the rules before you make conclusion. So that's what we try to do here. So make whatever conclusions you want. There's the rule. You, any questions about that rule, Kyle Wyatt? Any thoughts? No, I, I am... I am of the opinion that that ball appeared to be a strike, but who am I to judge? Because I just sit on a couch and overanalyze everything that I see. There's a reason they don't put the home plate umpire on someone's couch. I actually did not know that that was the rule, that if the ball is in the strike zone, it doesn't matter. You know, if, if the ball is a strike and you're hit, it's still a strike. I don't know why I never made that connection. I didn't know that was a rule. Yeah, I always thought it was slightly different. I thought it was that if you didn't attempt to get out of the way, it was whatever it would have been. I didn't realize that, right. So basically it's saying you can't stand over the plate and just let everything hit you. Yeah, <laughs> and that makes sense. Like, yeah, like you said, I thought it was just you had to make an attempt to uh, not get hit. It, and if that were the case, I was like, well, you know, I get it. But knowing that that's not the rule, actually, I think, what happened wasn't correct. And Ron Culpa, the, the umpire uh, that made that call, actually said that he made a mistake and you should have called him out. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Ron Culpa. He was the one in the 2019 with the Astros that was yelling at A.J. Hinch that he can do whatever he wants because he got tossed. He, 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 uh, the man's got a temper tantrum, but he, he's what I would consider a good umpire. That's a complete tangent, but... I mean, if you can talk about interesting officiating, there was an uh, NHL official who got fired a couple weeks ago because after announcing the penalty, uh, he went over to his linesman and forgot to turn his microphone off and got caught on a hot mic in the stadium saying, yeah, that one was kind of weak, but I really wanted to call a penalty on Nashville early in this game. No, that's awful. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, turn your mic. It's like it's like that. What what commercial was that? Do you remember that one? With the, the, the NFL officials were all in the huddle. State Farm. I think it was a State, State Farm, Farm commercial. commercial. Yeah. yeah, it was basically like that, except in real life. And a real NHL official lost his job for it. So check your microphone, children. Make sure your microphone is off before you say things you don't want the world to hear. Anyway, that was a little bonus, stupid rules, because it, because it got brought up. Well, um, on the 8311 on the cast, at least, we have a certain level of job security because if we were based on the number of write-that-down predictions that we got right, uh, we would have lost our jobs a long, long time ago. Uh, so we obviously have to hold ourselves accountable because we are absolutely atrocious at these predictions. So, Mike, take it away. Let's see how we did this week. Yep, this week we had two predictions come off the board. Um, the first one is from Wyatt. 
that um, the first Cub to be hit by a pitch this year would be Anthony Rizzo. We, uh, was Wilson Contreras actually was the first one. Wilson Contreras is not Anthony Rizzo. So for that, why it gets a eh. Josh also predicted um, that Yelich would hit two home runs in last week's Cubs Brewers series. He still has zero home runs on the year. It's hard to have two home runs in a series when you have zero on the year. So, nah. Nah. That, that's all for I write that down uh, our accountability session. Kyle, you want to get us a new prediction on the board? No, we got a. I've got a banger for us this week, and it's 100% going to come true. Uh, okay. So, I Michael A. Taylor uh, will have – so he's center fielder for the Royals for all of our listeners who are unaware. Uh, he will have a 14-game hitting streak to begin the season. So currently he has already eclipsed the seven-game hitting streak mark uh, today with his seventh straight game uh, of getting at least one hit this season. So I'm saying that by next Sunday he will have a 14 – assuming I- – you said it yourself. It's going to happen. That's a single, right? Uh, <laughs> it's a little more than a single. I'm just trying to say that. You said I'm it. Finally, do something right. So, what what is this hit streak at now? Sorry. Seven. So you're saying basically he's going to get a hit in the next seven games. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Not basically. It is exactly what I'm. We could get super scientific about this, or we could call it a double or triple. What do you want to do, Wyatt? I. I don't know. Is it a double or is it a triple? I don't think we need to go super uh, statistical. I, I could go get his batting average and then go calculate the, you know, with the X independent events and blah, 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 blah. But my, you like his 2021 batting average? I, I have that. No, I don't care about his 2021 batting average. Small sample size. Oh, <laughs> sorry. His career batting average is uh, 239. Okay. My, my gut read is a triple. Honestly. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. That career batting average, yes, that puts it at a triple for me. I agree. Kyle, you fine with that? Yeah. All right, triple it is. I'm going to the world of the NHL for my prediction. Um, we're starting to wind down the NHL regular season here. They got about a month left. Um, so I am predicting that um, the Minnesota Wild will play a playoff series versus um, the Las Vegas Golden Knights and that it will go seven games. So there will be a playoff series between Minnesota and Vegas and it will go all seven games. Man, that's a hard one. For the record, if the season ended now, Minnesota and Vegas would play in the first round. How many more games are left? Because I'm such loyal in a NHL. Between 16 and 20, depending on the team. Okay. Oh, man. Um, uh, there's so much variability here. Uh, or a lot more if you're Vancouver. Man, do we just just say we that just hit us home run? Yeah, might as well. I think okay, I'll take that. I'm not I, gonna I think we don't know. Wyatt and I don't know enough, and it seems like there's a ton of variability there. Have you noticed that that's why I keep making hockey predictions? Yeah. You guys have no idea what to give me. So you I, give me more than I more than I maybe deserve sometimes. So, do, you, do you think this one is more than you deserved? It was I, this one was either a triple or a home run. That's what I was thinking. You didn't you didn't like give me a home run for something that's a single. I mean, predicting a playoff series to seven games 
when it starts is something plus predicting the matchup a month in advance yeah all right Wyatt, you heard it so next time we're shafting him to make up for our recent over over uh no matter what it is you're getting a single yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i 100% stole josh's prediction which you'll hear after mine so it sounds like that i was original but i'm not I'm just saying the Cubs are going to win two out of three against the Brewers in this week's upcoming Cubs Brewers. Cubs are going to win two out of three against the Brewers. Okay, well, let's take a look at this. According to 538, um, the Brewers have a 56% chance to win games one and two and a 61% chance to win game three. Um, win ex- so is your prediction win exactly two out of three or at least two out of three? Exactly two out of three. Okay. Um, so the odds of that are, let's see, should I do the math? Do it. it. That's quick math. All right. We're doing the math. Okay. Uh, no, my statistics are flawed. I think, Oops. I don't know. Maybe not. I've got the odds of that at about 50%. Maybe that's too high. That's gotta be too high. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. My statistics are flawed. I, let's put it this way. I don't think my prediction will be true. I'm thinking this is probably a double. Sure. Double, uh, double it is. Yeah, my statistics were very bad there, but double makes – yeah, I see what I did wrong. My bad. Okay, we're good now. All right, so do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive, even though I know the answer to both of those questions? Right. You literally said earlier you stole his prediction, so, or you reversed his prediction. I Josh did. predicts that the Brewers will take two out of three from the Cubs um, in this series. So – I guess we give him a double too, or is the fact right. that he was a favorite enough to give him a single? Uh, I feel like we just have to give him a double. I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's a toss up. That's fine. Yeah, I'm fine with that. We would have gave him a single. We would have hit the cycle, but we we didn't. We only had two doubles, triple, and a home run, which means we are at the end of the write that down prediction segment. Which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 126 of the 311 Cast. Appreciate you sticking around. Make sure you check us out next week. But in the meantime, check out our Instagram. We post cool pictures and videos and things at 8311Cast. Signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. <laughs>